the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Ab, episode 876 for Monday, June 14th, 2021. <laughs> Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found to us at feedback at macgeekgab.com. We take those questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We try to answer your questions. We share your tips and cool stuff found. Sometimes we share tips and cool stuff found of our own with the goal being each and every one of us learns at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Barebones, BB Edit, longtime favorite. Ladderlife.com slash MGG. Great service there. Linode.com slash MGG. Great service and longtime favorite. And Business Movers, the enlightenment of Steve Jobs over on Wondery. Great new podcast. We'll talk more in depth about each of those shortly here. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John of Braun. Yeah, man. How, uh... How's the the spring that is quickly approaching summer becoming for you? Oh, uh, pretty good. Good. I uh, had a minor adventure, uh, as I think you saw um, last week with uh, with your car. Yes. Yeah, I think you mentioned it in the show, or maybe you mentioned it in pre-show. I can't remember. We spoke a lot last week with uh, both eight seventy four and eight seventy five with Dave Mark. So yeah, that's good. Um. It was kind of a cool stuff found, though. Okay. I, I, I can make quick work of it. Sure. So, um, um, so, yeah, I was driving around town, and um, my brake pedal went to the floor. It's like, okay. Fortunately, um, I could still brake. It was just a lot harder. Sure. So, tip number one, get AAA if you have an older vehicle. Because <laughs> they, uh, they came to uh, tow it to my uh, preferred place. But I did a little experiment. So, you know, I put the uh, air tag. In my car, Dave. Well, I uh, I also put one on my extra set of keys, and the guy brought it there. And behold, the power of the Find My Network. And I sent you a map showing. Uh, so apparently, uh, as long as you know you're in an area that um, has other iDevices, um, it's essentially a GPS because the the address it gave was exactly the address of where it was being brought. So That's I thought that was neat. I, I never awesome. tried that with my other trackers, mm. though, though they have a similar concept. It's just, you know, their net versus the Find My Network. And I think the Find My Network is probably bigger. I would guess that if it's not currently bigger, it will be because it it would be every iOS device running um, iOS 14 or later. Right. So mm -hmm. I, or 14 point something or later. But yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Hey, I, I know it's not quite as um, old as your car, John, but we do. Uh, I, I would like to wish <laughs> you a happy anniversary, my friend, because on Sunday, June 13th. So depending on whether you're listening to the live stream, which is being recorded on Friday, June 11th or the show, which is being released on June 14th, uh, it's either in the future or the past. But Sunday, June 13th. Marks the 16th anniversary of us doing this show um, because it was June 13th, 2005 was when we released our first episode. I will find a link to the first episode and put it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. By no means is this an endorsement 
uh, or mm-hmm. a suggestion that you go and listen every now and then the, the, our first episode, John, it comes up on my, you know, in my, my car, whatever, on my playlist for whatever reason. And it's the, it, um, let's just say we've iterated, we've come a long way. We did not mm-hmm. stagnate. We have, uh, I think we've make, made the show better. Uh, so, but you can let us know. I'll put a link in the, in the show notes. So, um, yeah. Oh, and I learned something else. What's that? Speaking of the age of one's vehicle, um, I was chatting with the people at the place once they finished the work. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I never got an emissions card in the mail. Um, most states do some form of emissions testing. Of course on a regular basis. And I'm like, I didn't get the card. Now there was a hack. So I read and apparently the database got corrupt or something. So I'm like, Oh, maybe it's that. And the uh, person at the, at the place said, Oh, well I have access an enhanced access to the database. And she was like, Oh, there's a good reason you're exempt. I'm like, really? Really? Uh, cars over 25 years old. Um, <laughs> no longer have to get emissions, which I think is kind of weird. I think you want, to do that since it'd be more likely to yeah malfunction yeah interesting huh well yeah so that's uh saving 20 bucks a year <laughs> there you go there you go uh all right so i think i found a link for the uh for the at mac mm. geekab anniversary in the show notes i think i i can't test it all right now because obviously we're you know we're doing this right so i'm gonna keep doing this uh all speaking right. of keeping and doing Let's, uh, should we jump to some quick tips here, John? Please do the thing that we do. Alex shares, he says, uh, as you may know, Safari has a picture in picture mode for, uh, that it's had for more than a little while. By default, the floating video window is attracted to one of the four corners of the screen in that it snaps there when you move it. He says, but if you hold the command key while moving the window around, it will not get pulled to the nearest corner. Instead, it will remain wherever you leave it, allowing your picture-in-picture window to end up wherever you prefer. Moving the window around a second time without the command key held down returns the snap behavior and will pop it back into a corner. I could see this being really useful. I often will take a, a picture-in-picture window and drag it to my uh, like my second screen or something, and I don't. I I I've always it's always bothered me that like snaps to the corner. It's like, no, can you just stay there? Like I've got all this real estate. I know where I want it. Never knew about this command tip. So thank you, Alex. Go command drag Safari's uh, picture in picture window. And it, it, uh, it behaves and stays, which is good. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty good. Thanks, Alex. All right. Jamie's got a good one that, um, uh, will help prevent disaster. I think, um, <laughs> Uh, you think you know the rules for dragging and dropping files. If you drag and drop to the same volume, the files are moved. And if you drag to a different volume, the files are copied. However, as our file system environment has become more complex, it becomes less and less obvious which destinations are considered to be on the same volume. I have lost files because I thought I was making a copy when I was actually moving them. The bad thing about this is that you might not realize it until much later that the files are no longer in their original location. The problem is magnified if the original files are located in a folder monitored by some kind of sync process like Dropbox or Synology Drive. The accidental deletion can propagate to other systems. This is the problem on the Mac for sure, but my biggest problem came on the Synology DSM using FileStation. I wanted to copy a lot of files from my Synology to a USB drive. 
I dragged a huge batch of them from their home volume to the USB drive. That's a different volume, so it should copy, right? Wrong. <laughs> I found out about two-thirds of the way through, and maybe a couple of hours later, that it was actually moving my files from the NAS to the USB drive. I stopped the move and managed to get the files copied back. I never imagined that DSM would move my files without an even, are you sure? Um, so on macOS and DSM, you can select a batch of files and copy and paste them. I'm going to do this from now on. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess it. I, I guess this sort of makes sense with the split volumes and stuff. I don't know. I like. I would have assumed it would copy, not move. But, uh, but it's good to know that it does not. He's right. If you want to copy something, use the Finder's copy and paste, or if you're running a Synology, use DSM's copy and paste. That's yeah. Okay, fair. It's, I, it's not how I thought it would behave, but that's a good one, man. Yeah, I thought. <clears throat> well, I think if you right click on D, in DSM, it will give you explicit choices in the little pop up in the contextual menu. That's right. Um, yeah. Dragging in DSM is not as clear, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. Right clicking in, in DSM, you get to choose copy or move, which which I've always liked. I, I find that handy. Yeah, it's good. Um. In the last episode, John, we were talking about powering down your television with your Apple remote and how that was a little bit of a trick. Well, listener John has uh, has an answer for us. He says, believe it or not, the sleep command on the Apple TV will turn off TVs with infrared if they don't support the HDMI CEC off command. He says, but you have to have your remote pointed towards the TV. He says, I know this because my bedroom TV behaves exactly like this. I had no idea that there was infrared uh, transmitter in the Apple remote, but uh, according to listener, John, uh, there is. And I, I like, he's someone who has sent in advice many times over the years. He understands this stuff quite well. So I'm, I'm, I, I have not tested this. I can't really test it. But I trust him. So thank you for that, John. That's great. Very cool. Yeah, I looked at mine the other day, and yeah, it has a little uh, little window on the okay. top. Which, huh? uh, yeah, it must be the, the, the IR. Now, it does the, you know, I don't think my, no, I think it, maybe it does. Um, the Mac Mini has IR also, and I've used it in the past, like with the Apple remote. I don't know if my 2018 has one, though. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. how could we find out? We can go, I would probably look at USB. What does it think I have? Uh, nope. Nah. No, nothing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so the last one did. Uh, that, that was kind of a neat hidden feature. And actually, the MacBook also had an IR receiver, or a prior one. Uh, yeah, the older it. ones did. It, it, it's been a while, though, since they had IR receivers built into them. I remember... When I got my, it might have been my 2018 MacBook Air, but honestly, it might have even been my 2011 Air. I was all excited. I'm like, oh, I, I, I have an extra Apple remote. I'll use that for like when I'm doing Keynote and stuff. And I got to a hotel room to practice and was like, how come this doesn't work? It's like, oh, it doesn't have an IR. So I think it's been 10 years since they've had a, a, a released laptop that has an IR receiver, but it's fine. Uh, yeah. Actually, yeah. I'd be curious, folks. Uh, what is your favorite now that we're getting back to sometimes doing things in person? 
what is your favorite keynote like remote? I know I, obviously you can do it with your your watch. You can do it with your iPhone. I find both of those to be remarkably clunky during presentations. I have like a nine dollar remote that I have used for probably 15 years. Uh, it it it's all self-contained. It's like the size of a pen. And uh, it uh, it has like in the top of it, it's got a little I, I wish I had it so I could show it on the video here. But um, it, it like it's US. It, it connects USB to my Mac and then it connects wirelessly to its little USB dongle, but it's little USB dongle lives inside of it. So I'm, I'm never at a risk of losing it. It runs on a triple a battery. And I think I've been using the same battery ever since I got it. It's very low power and it's even got a laser pointer in it. So that's what I use, but I'd be curious to hear what you folks use. So uh, as I said before, feedback at MacGeekGab.com is where we'd love to hear from you. Yes. He said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That is true. That is what I said. Ah, all right. You want to take us? Speaking of remotes, Greg's got something to say, right, John? Yeah, I'm looking at one that I was just playing around with. Ah, okay. I'm not sure if it can do Keynote, though. Keynote's pretty. I mean, if if it works with a Mac, it would work with Keynote. It's pretty universal in that sense. So. Yeah. All right. Well, let me. Um. Yeah, I'll, I'll read through the okay, cool. thing later here. But um, Greg, okay, one remote to rule them all. <laughs> um, a short follow-up to listener David's quick tip in episode 874, where he discussed some challenges he faced powering off his TV with the Apple remote. The quick tip left and subsequent discussion left me scratching my head until I realized it was probably centered around the previous first-gen S-Lady remote based on the comment from the listener that there is no off button. So I thought I'd share a more positive experience for those who may be considering the new Apple TV 4K model with the new remote that does have a dedicated on off button. Mm. Uh, I've been using the newest Apple TV 4K since it was released a few weeks ago and I found that the new remote works flawlessly with all my components as long as HDMI CEC is enabled. I have the aforementioned Apple TV 4K, a 10-year-old Denon receiver, a 2016 LG OLED with HDMI CEC enabled on all components. Using the new Apple TV remote, uh, remote's dedicated power button, I'm able to power everything on with a short tap of the power button and power everything off with a long press. Additionally, the volume up-down mute operations work exactly as they should control the volume on the receiver. I haven't needed to reach for my Harmony remote since I got the new Apple TV 4K. As an aside, thanks to CEC, the original LG Magic remote that came with a TV also works flawlessly to control everything in case you're in a household with his and her remotes. <laughs> oh, that's um, a, I didn't think about that. That's a great idea. Yeah, okay. Mm, huh. uh, you don't get the nifty fast-forward rewind capability Apple rolled out with the new ClickPad ring, but the directional allows arrows work just as you would expect on all components, including the Apple TV, are controlled properly. I know this may not work with TVs, receivers, some other manufacturers, but it seems like if HDMI CEC is implemented correctly in the various components, the chances of success should be pretty good. Um, last, I know that it's possible to purchase a new remote to use with an older Apple TV, but I don't have the previous gen model to test with, so can't say for sure if it works. Um, okay, Greg, thank you. Yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting. Those LG Magic remotes... My only problem, I like their remote. It's it's because we have an LG TV. The problem is it's like a cat toy, John. 
because as soon as I aim the remote at the TV and like move it to show that I'm potentially going to do something with the remote, a red dot appears on my TV screen. I got three Hmm. cats in my house that becomes a magnet for them to dive Mm -hmm. at my television, which is something I, you know, try to avoid for a variety of reasons. So that remote has to be used uh, very, very judiciously, uh, if you will. So, yeah, we we have to use it when it's like we look around. It's like, all right, are there any cats in sight? Okay, no. Great. We can use that remote. But, Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Where are we here? Uh, yeah. Oh, um, so jumping off the remote train and back to quick tips in general. Listener Jeff notes something. He says, I found by accident uh, when I was clearing out random screenshots that I seem to accidentally keep taking on my phone. He says, I noticed a screenshot of my CarPlay screen and thought, wait, when did I take that? Well, he says. It turns out if you take a screenshot while connected to CarPlay, you actually take two screenshots at the same time. One of them is of the phone screen and the other is of your CarPlay screen. When you click the little icon to edit or mark up the screenshot, you can swipe left and right and select which one you want to use. I'm not sure how useful this would be for your listeners, but nevertheless, it's cool. And one of the five things to learn and put away until you actually need it one day. Yeah, there was something I needed to do where I were having a screenshot of CarPlay was helpful. But um, but yeah, I, I stumbled upon this. I think it was the first time I was dri- I was driving in Boston and I noticed this was, you know, probably iPhone 11 days, let's say. And uh, and I noticed that my phone said 5G E. For the first time, this was like fake 5G, right? The AT&T's, whatever it was at the time. And so I just reached down and did the screenshot motion on my phone, you know, with the the two buttons. I didn't, uh, I, I, I was as safe as possible in this. Never once did my eyes leave the road. But um, yeah, when I got home and looked, it was like, hey, there's two screenshots there. That's interesting. So yeah, yeah, it's good. The, the things we find, I like it. It's good. Speaking of the car, you got some gas tips to share following up from a previous episode, John? Oh, I'm going to share some of the Don shared, uh, Don shared with us, and I'm going to regionalize a bit because he regionalized it. So uh, um, he's saying it's common knowledge that gasoline is expensive in California. And um, I saw somebody post uh, a little while ago, and it was it was almost like a dollar more than I pay out here. Right now, it's about three bucks a gallon from out here. And there have been various disasters that have caused <laughs> the prices to fluctuate, um, refineries and that whole, anyways, um, and that whole pipeline thing. Pipeline All thing, right. yeah. Uh, so, it's kind of getting back to normal. Anyways, um, so a couple categories. So, uh, one, membership stores like Costco, Sam's, and one that we have out here is uh, called BJ's. Um, but typically these are places where you pay a membership fee and then you can get mass quantities of things for little money. Um, so we got that out here. So that's one suggestion. Yeah. Cause they sell um, gas. They, 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 they often have gas pumps at, at a discount for members, right? Yeah. RBJ's in Fairfield does not, but got the it. one, other ones do. Um, 
And then, so the second suggestion is grocery stores. Um, Albertson, Ralph's, Vons, none of which we have in Connecticut, though we have Stop and Shop. Same thing is that for every dollar you spend, like here, it's every dollar you spend, you get 10 cents. Or or every hundred dollars you spend, you get 10 cents off a gallon. I think right now I'm at like 60 cents. So um, (laughs) that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, And then they have alliances sometimes with uh, local chains and they do this here as well. So like Shell, Chevron, Tesco may have a deal with this. uh, So like, for example, I can use my stop and shop points at Shell as well. And they give me the same discount. Um, So that's another one. And let's see. Um, Now the, the thing is, uh, the the little trick he offered here is that um, you can buy things um, like gift cards at the grocery store and get points for that. Um, right? Right. All right. So I guess that's, you know, maybe not an obvious tip, but yeah. So if you buy a gift card, um, you get credited uh, towards your gas points. So you can, yeah, so you can, you can, what's the, what's the right word for time shift, spend shift your future grocery purchases. If you need gas today, right. Buy a hundred dollar gift card for groceries that you're going to spend two weeks anyway, Mm -hmm. and then use it to leverage a discount for gas today. All right. I like this little hack. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Now maybe another one here. So I have, it's the only card that I pay for, but Amex has a, a blue preferred. I think it's called. Um, and for a, a yearly fee, the, the thing that I like about it is you get you get six percent back on groceries. So I put all my groceries on that. OK, OK, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Cool. And the final thing is that. Um, and also, I use something called Gas Buddy. Oh, um, right. it's a debit or it's, it's a fleet card in that when I go to the pump and I use this and then it's tied into my, uh, um, uh, checking account, uh, I guess the motivation. So what happens is if you use this, you typically can get at least five cents off a gallon using this card linked to your, uh, checking account. Oh, because uh, they're bypassing they are- credit card fees, right? Because they're, well, I think is that, so the money is not taken out of your account immediately. So I think they, play with the float is maybe another motivation for them to do this. Oh, maybe. Yeah. I would just think avoiding credit card fees would be the key, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's, I mean, you know, for you and me here at Mac geek like for our premium program, we pay what it, all said and done with transaction fees and credit card fees. We pay about 4%. Um, mm-hmm. The the credit card fee itself is 2.9. And then we're paying a, you know, a 30 cent transaction fee or something. But um but in bulk, you can get that down. Um, when we were taking a lot of credit cards at Backbeat Media, we were able to get it down to like somewhere under 2%. And I'm sure, you know, nationwide gas chains get it even less. But even still, like even paying a, a point and a half on, uh, you know, on every transaction, like even at Backbeat Media, like we were paying 2%, mm-hmm. you know, start doing enough business. And it's like, wait a minute, we're giving away a lot of money here. So um incentivizing your customers not to use credit cards is a good thing and it sounds like that's what this gas buddy at least that yeah, part is doing yeah. because they're basically acting as as a debit card in this case right I think the fees are typically lower for that as well that's so. right way 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 lower that's right yeah 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 but but you don't get like if i use my debit card or gas buddy to pay for gas 
I don't get my hotel points or whatever I might get on my rewards right. card. And so that's the, that's the problem we were having at backbeat is, you know, we had some people that were like, Oh, cool. You know, we'll do a, you know, whatever they've got a, some $20,000 ad campaign. It's like, okay, I'll put it on my credit card and I'll get uh, 20,000 points back, which I do all the time if I can, but we've worked to discourage that behavior because, you know, you take 20,000 and multiply it by whatever, you know, two or 3%, that was five, 600 bucks. So it's, it's not, uh, it's not fun anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I do that for my flood insurance. If I'm going to pay it and uh, all I'll say is that it's uh four figures. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I have to have it as long as I have a mortgage. Right. Um, because of where you are. That's right. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 I, I put, I've always <laughs> joked that if I could put payroll on a credit card, I would, um, we try to run all our business <laughs> expenses through, through, um, actually there are, we, we, with one of the companies, we hire a, a virtual, I hate the term virtual assistant. They're a real person. We hire a remote assistant and they are out in, uh, they happen to be in the Philippines. And so, uh, that one I'm able to pay on a credit card and it's great. You know, it's like, Hey, I'll take the points. It's awesome. So, Anyway, all right. Uh, one more quick tip, then uh, then we'll share a little bit about our first couple sponsors, and then um, and then we'll do some cool stuff found. In fact, our quick tip is related to our cool stuff found here, folks. Uh, in the last episode, I started out by saying that I really liked uh, being able to capture notes while I ride my bike, and that means just interacting via voice with my watch. And what I was doing, what I still am doing, although you folks have had some some uh, suggestions, is I just say, uh, hey, Siri, send a message to me. And then it's a, you know, I message that's in my queue and then I can process it when I get back. But I did ask for suggestions and uh, and listener Reginald ha starts us off. He says a quick tip to let you know it's possible to create a note using siri all you have to do is say hey s lady create a note he says i was listening to your show and you were saying it was possible to create a text message and i thought why that's silly why don't you just create a note and siri will create a note so that's uh that's a great one i don't i i need to experiment with all with all of these things because i need to see like would i rather just have a text stream that i'm sort of capturing from or a bunch of notes barfed into notes because I'm guessing it wouldn't put it all in the same note. But, uh, but you know, we asked for advice we're sharing and I am thankful that y'all are providing it. So thank you. This is good. And here's a, here's a quick one I got for you. Um, yep. related to uh, voice assistance, um, the a lady. So I was, I don't know. I think I was, you know, I, I swallowed some food or something like that and I was mumbling something and, uh, uh, she heard something really weird. All I'm going to offer, all I'm going to say to you is that say this to her the next time. Jurassic bark. All right. Is what, is what she thought I said. Okay. <laughs> uh, I will, uh, I will put that in the show notes. All right. Uh, before we get to the rest of the cool stuff found in all of that, the next thing that I want to do, John is talk about our first two sponsors. Listen, from the iPhone to Pixar, Steve Jobs led a career full of groundbreaking innovation, but his road to Silicon Valley success was a rocky one filled with failure and a few burned bridges here or there. Well, from Wondery on the new season of Business Movers, you can learn how Steve Jobs took Apple from near disaster to total triumph. 
I got to listen to uh, the first episode of this and man, it's so well done. They actually start with the conversation between Steve Jobs and uh, John Scully and they sort of walk through how that came together and the result of it, which Steve wasn't entirely happy with. If you remember your history, I don't want to ruin it for you. I think many of us know, but even if you know, they did a great job here on Business Movers, really talking through it all. They go through things, you know, Steve Jobs used to like to say that a computer was a bicycle for our minds. He saw how bikes elevated our minds and bodies, and he thought computers could do the same for the brain. And he had a knack for just seeing the big picture. And I, you know, I always say that I, I think Steve Jobs could see around the corner uh, for what was next that not everybody could see. Like he just didn't see in straight lines. I don't know. You got to go listen to business movers, the enlightenment of Steve jobs. You can find it on Apple podcasts, Amazon music, or you can listen one week early and ad free by joining Wondery plus in the Wondery app. Wondery feel the story. Go check out business movers, the enlightenment of Steve jobs and our thanks to Wondery for sponsoring this episode. You know, if you're like me, your kids are getting older, maybe you're starting to pay for college, maybe you've, or you've got that expense coming up, or you've got other things happening, and you don't want to leave your kids or your partner with a huge financial burden if something happens. And on that note, it makes sense why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. Why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones you love? Well, if you're asking yourself this question, choose our next sponsor, Ladder. Ladder makes it impressively fast and easy to get covered. It's, it's awesome, in fact. You just need a few minutes. You can use your phone or your laptop to apply. You do it online. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you can find out instantly if you're approved. There's no hidden fees. You can cancel at any time. And since life insurance costs more as you age... And since we live in a world of linear time, well, now is the time to get this done and cross it off your list. So go check out Ladder today and see if you're instantly approved. Go to ladderlife.com slash MGG. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash MGG. Ladderlife.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Ladder for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, you have uh, you have Matt for us. Ah, yes. Matt says, you might like this for uh, dictation or note-taking while you're on your bike. Uh, I guess this is directed to you. Um, and it's a good app all around. And what is the app? The app is called Just Press Record. Uh, I'd like the they get right to the point. Um, it's five bucks. Um, runs on iDevices and Apple Watch. And... You can record on any device and sync with iCloud, record anywhere, anytime on Apple Watch, turn speech into searchable text in over 30 languages. Okay, that's nice. And uh, edit with edit your transcriptions with a single tap. Well, that sounds like it's worth five bucks. Huh. That, yeah, interesting. Interesting, interesting. And I always look at an app's version history. So the most recent one was on February 12th of this year. So they are up to date. They're, you know. I always just make sure that it's not, you know, 2018 seeing the last update or something like that. So that's good. All right. Yeah. Thank you. That's a good one. Um, many of you to solve this same problem mentioned uh, the drafts app. Uh, so, again, I'm looking for a way to take notes uh, mostly, if not entirely hands free while I'm on my bike, because that's a way that's a place where I 
find I, I get into a meditative state and then ideas percolate and I want to capture them and then get back into my, you know, my flow state there. And, uh, and so many of you have suggested the drafts app listener. Peter says, uh, I find drafts really handy for taking notes on my Apple watch. It goes something like this. Hey, S lady use drafts to take a note. And then it'll say, what do you want to say? And then you say, here's the great content of my note. The note then arrives in my drafts inbox and badges the app on all of my devices. He says, I've done this even without my phone on me. That's really interesting. I always bring my phone. I have a little pouch on my on my bike that I put my phone in just so I have it. Uh, but wow, that's very interesting. Yeah, that sounds I mean, that sounds super efficient. You know, just saying Siri, use drafts to take a note and then boom, you're you're in business. Uh, I like it. Okay. This might see now we're talking here. I don't have to push a button. I just like triggered with Siri and goes with Siri. Uh, listener John also had something to say about drafts and I kept it in the list. So I must have a reason for it. Uh, he says uh, one advantage doing this is that drafts dictation does not have the same time cut off before dictation stops working uh, as doing this take as it does with stand, the standard iOS interface, at least with iOS 14. And so, so you can dictate a lengthy note without stopping. Once saved, it will sync over to the iOS app, and then you can send, send it directly to notes if you would like. I heard about this one on the Mac Power Users podcast from David Sparks. Of course, Sparky is a big fan of drafts. Yeah, makes sense. Um, thank you. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, several people have also just suggested that I use uh, Siri to set a reminder, uh, which you can also do. Uh, I don't. I, this this might yeah i like the idea of being able to say save notes with some text reminders can get a little i i might get a little wordy for reminders at times although i do usually try to be brief when i'm doing this kind of thing especially on the go but yeah i could see doing this in the car too i'm not sure why it never hit me to do this in the car i guess i used to i would um Whenever I would go into the flotation tank, John, you've probably gotten like voice memos from me that I've, you know, had inspiration about the show or something. I go into the flotation tank and come out and that drive home, man, it, my mind just like is racing with all these new ideas after I sort of get to detach my brain for a little bit. So, um, yeah. All right, cool. Thanks everybody. That's great. Good stuff. Excellent. All right. Uh, what's next, John? We got some cool stuff. Oh. Now that we're in cool stuff found, what cool stuff found do we have? Okay. Uh, I got one. Okay. That came up. So I have, um, as of late when ordering things, the tracking numbers that I get are not always, uh, us Dave. Okay. Um, so I ordered this one thing, which looks cool. Um, but I haven't received it yet though. It's on the way. And how do I know it's on the way? Well, the company I got it from, which must be based in China, um, sent me a tracking link. And so I click on it and it brought me to 17track.net and it had the number embedded in there. And um, it showed me that it was starting in China. I'm like, OK, it must be China. And, and it, uh, I identified the tracking number. So it's like, oh, yeah, it's China Post. And uh, yeah, it's in China. I'm like, OK, that's fine. Sure. Uh, it's here now. Um, but they also have an app, Dave, which is cool. Um, and it understands the format of carriers, not just us carriers. So, uh, so it's nice, but it also does like clever things in the background 
because I was getting notifications from it when it wasn't running saying, hey, there's an update for, you know, the package that you asked me to track. So I thought that was pretty neat. Huh. That's pretty. I had not heard about that app before that. It looks good. It, it, uh, one feature that I like, and I'll talk about the app that I have used for tracking packages, but one feature that is important to me is being able to sync to all of my devices. And they indeed have data sync, uh, using, I think it's their own cloud because it, the app and they say your PC. So I think it can sync to your Mac or your, uh, I don't know if they have a Mac app, but, uh, but it sure looks like they've, you know, they've got apps for at least other platforms. So they say there's two membership levels, three bucks a month. You get a hundred a hundred items tracked per month or five bucks a month. You get 200. So yeah, interesting. That's cool. I am. Um, I'll have to check this out. I've always used an app called deliveries for tracking my packages and they've got a Mac app, iPhone app, you know, iPad. They have the ability to sync uh, with their uh, their own server or I believe still with iCloud. I'm pretty sure it works over either. And it's a pretty app like you found. It works, you know, like um like 17 track. It works with with lots of different carriers. It does auto detection. Uh, I think both of these apps do. I know deliveries and it sounds like 17 track will uh, let you scan a barcode on a package. That's one of the handiest things. If I, you know, print a label to go ship somewhere or something, just pointing my phone at it quick, scan the barcode, put it in, ship it out, and I'm good to go. So, yeah, it, it makes a difference being able to track and then have that stuff sync to all your devices. Um, I, I don't know. I'd like to, I like to keep, I'd like to keep tabs on my mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, this was interesting. Are we, oh, are we good on, on uh, 17 oh, yeah. track? Yeah. Okay. Um, listener, Michael, uh, brought us a thing. He was was suggesting that I use uh, Siri to create notes. And he says, uh, he says what he does is he says, I use Siri to create a new reminder in my ideas list. And then from that list, I can parse uh, to any of my, you know, other to-do apps or however I want to organize things. So that's interesting. So adding it to a specific list that's not, that, that's really just for idea capture. So great. Thank you. The other thing he said, he says, you also mentioned cloud iCloud drive, which is to our family only good. He says it's lack of ability to selectively sync to different devices like Macs and PCs where we have to use both for work is a real issue with Microsoft's family plan. We get office on all of our devices and one terabyte per person up to six people in a family and easy file sharing to each other. And the cost is ninety nine dollars a year. So this gave me a little bit of pause because I thought, wait, did he say $99 a year per person or is it $99 a year for a family of up to six? And so I chatted with Microsoft and it is indeed uh, uh, for a family of up to six and listener and uh, Microsoft uh, um, Daniel, who I chatted with at Microsoft, this was about two in the morning. Uh, the other night said, uh, look, it doesn't need to be family family either. It can be four friends and a pet horse if you really wanted it to be. Um, and and I, I wondered if, you know, my horse really would need a full terabyte of storage. But as Michael pointed out, he says, you know, think of all the hay you could store there. Uh, and, and then he pointed out 
uh, he says H A A S hay as a service. It's going to be big, but mm -hmm. um, yeah. So uh, virtual cloud hay would be uh, would be Microsoft's fun thing. But it was nice. It was actually nice to have you know a, a like a, an actual humorous response. But but confirming in fact that yes, regardless of what you uh, call your family, ninety nine bucks a month gets you a terabyte uh, per per family member. For up to six family members total. So you could have six terabytes of storage for $99 a month from Microsoft. And, oh, by the way, this is Microsoft 365 family. So you also get Word, uh, Excel, and PowerPoint, I believe, with uh, with that. So that's pretty good. Did I say, have I said $99 a month the whole time? If I've been saying $99 a month, it's $99 a year. Did I say a month? I can't, I can't remember. It sounds I, I'm thinking oh. I said a month. I don't know. It's ninety nine dollars a year for six terabytes of storage and uh, Word, Excel and PowerPoint. That's pretty good. That's pretty. Good. Yeah. Or I think I saw nine ninety nine a month if you want to do a monthly. There you go. But. Yes. Yes. So, yes, I was incorrect. I was I kept saying month. It's obviously not one hundred dollars a month. It's one hundred dollars a year. Or as you pointed out, John, ten bucks a month. Yeah. Great stuff. I love it. I love it. All right. Um, John, it's been an interesting week with uh, with WWDC here. And uh, and I've had obviously we talked about uh, our initial reactions from the keynote and State of the Union with Dave Mark on Monday, uh, which was awesome. Thanks for everybody for um, for participating in that. It was a blast. And thanks to Dave Mark, too. I dug I did some dugging. I dug I dug some didding, John. Because I wanted to learn more about a few things, and uh, I dug into Apple's iCloud Private Relay, which is which was really interesting to me, and I was curious about how they were doing, what they were doing, and um, what it affects on your devices. So not only did I go and watch the WWDC session about this, I actually installed iOS 15 on our family spare iPhone 10R, and but. It runs great on that device, by the way. I, I have, I mean, I, I didn't inherit any apps or anything. I started it fresh, but, uh, but it's been, it's been quite stable. So, the best place to start when thinking about private relay is to start about start from what we know about how a VPN server works, because this is not a VPN server, but it's a good place to start. So, with a VPN server, if I'm connecting to your website, John, uh. Normally, it would just be me connecting directly to your website, right? With a VPN server, I'm connecting to the VPN server, and then the VPN server is connecting to your website. But the VPN server theoretically has all the information. They know where I'm connecting to, and they know who I am, right? They see both sides of the chain. Apple did not want that. So what Apple did was they created a double server scenario, and they have ingress servers, which are the ones that I would connect to. And then they have egress servers, which are the ones that connect to you. So I would connect to an ingress server. The ingress server would talk to the egress server and the egress server would talk to you. Now, here's where it gets really even more interesting. The ingress server is owned by Apple. The egress server is not. Uh, from my tests, I'm seeing it owned by Cloudflare, but that's just me here in the Northeast. It could, they, I'm sure they could have many different partners. What's also interesting is that the egress server has no idea who I am. It only knows 
what I'm requesting. Apple's ingress server only knows who I am and does not know what I'm requesting because my request is encrypted on my device and sent all the way through to the egress server. So Apple knows it's me, but they don't know what I'm looking for or what I'm getting. And the egress server knows what I'm getting or what I'm looking for, but it doesn't know that it's me. Speed-wise, obviously, this sounded like a thing that might slow things down. It does not. I had like 33 millisecond ping times all the way through. It was super fast. I, I got... I was on Wi-Fi because I'm only doing it on my on my iPhone, so I haven't been able to test Ethernet. But I got, you know, I'm on that fiber connection here. I got 300 megabits in both directions, which was li the limitation of my Wi-Fi. So that worked really well. It doesn't protect all traffic, John. Only really only three things are protected and really mainly just two of them. So when thinking about iCloud private relay, there's two things that go through it. All your DNS queries, 100% of your DNS queries go through iCloud Private Relay and all your Safari browsing. Anything you do in Safari goes through this. Now, you can turn it off, but it is on by default if you have any paid iCloud subscription. They call it iCloud Plus now, but it it's the same. My subscription just became an iCloud Plus subscription when I launched iOS 15. Uh, I'm not paying any more or any less. But any paid iCloud subscription, even at 99 cents a month, uh, goes up to, you know, we'll, we'll let you use this. And there's no traffic limits or anything. So Safari browsing and DNS queries. In addition to that, Apple is also encrypting. It, uh, Apple is also encrypting, but also sending across private relay any traffic from your apps that is not encrypted. So, for example, the Mac Geek Gab app. If it's connecting to download our podcast in an, you know, in an encrypted way, HTTPS, it's going to let that go straight through to our servers. But if we're doing it as HTTP, it's going to go through private relay. And that's just to make sure all your web traffic is encrypted so that your local provider can't see what you're doing. Um, local traffic, private domains. If you turn on a VPN uh, and then, of course, like I said, secure traffic from your apps, none of those things uh, are included in private relay. All of those would bypass it. So you turn on a VPN, it's fine. Network operators can also block private relay by simply blocking the um, lookups to the private Apple's private relay servers. And they publish what those servers are. So if you're running a corporate network or a university network or something, and you're like, I don't want, I want to be able to see and control what people are doing here. Um, you just block access to Apple's ingress servers and then private relay won't work, but it will tell the user, hey, private relay is not able to be used on this network. Do you want to continue using this network without it or do you want to use a different network? And you can go turn it off, John, uh, in like if you go in, on the iPhone, I can go into Wi-Fi settings and disable private relay. It's on by default, but uh, but you can go into the settings and turn it off. So I, I think Apple did it pretty well. I'm, I'm pretty stoked about it, to be honest. Any uh, any questions or um, thoughts on this, John? Is the mail privacy protection separate from iCloud Plus? N no, uh, ma the mail privacy protection I believe is included in iCloud Plus as well. I think, um, and it it operates similarly to Private Relay. It in fact it uses Private Relay to load images uh, like inline mm -hmm. images that would be in mail. 
But that gets interesting, right? Because simply loading the image is all that needs to happen to let someone know that you have opened the email, right? Like as soon as the image is loaded, now like your privacy is, is lost on that. So they know you've opened the email. Well, Apple has solved this problem. I dug into that too. They load all images through their private relay. So they hide your IP address, they hide your location. Uh, and as soon as the email arrives on your device, it loads all the images. So it's going to throw off the metrics for your, uh, for email trackers, like, you know, like a MailChimp or a thing like that. It's just going to say, oh yeah, your open rate is through the roof. Um, but, uh, but you won't know because because to track open rate, what they do is they 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 track whether or not an image has been loaded. And if the image has been loaded, then we know, oh, the mail's been opened. Well, that's going to happen whether or not the mail has been opened. And so that's how Apple's getting around it. The only caveat that I can see with that, though, John, is that still confirms that the email made it to your device. And so for spammers that are using this technology to confirm that your email address is valid. I think it still lets them confirm that your email address is valid. So that would be the right. I mean, I don't see any, I don't see any way around that. So mm -hmm. uh, unless they don't load images for things that are put in spam, only things that make it to your inbox. Like there, there might be some filters there. Uh, their session was not clear on, on, you know, the nuances okay. of that, but yeah. All right. Yeah, I remember when we we talked about this. I mean, clearly it's going to yes, as you observe, it's going to uh upset some uh it's going to upset some systems when trying to do metrics. Yes. Oh, it absolutely. Well, that's the whole point. Uh, yeah, quite, no, I know. Quite frankly, I think that, like, that's yeah. a depending on your viewpoint, that's a good thing. Um uh, certainly from my viewpoint, it's a good thing. This will break all of the um, attribution tracking that mm -hmm. Apple has or that that like the podcast industry is is trying desperately to implement. And yeah. I couldn't be happier about it. Like, I'm really stoked that it will break this because Safari and the podcast app will be separated from each other. You know, you won't have the mm -hmm. same IP and user agent loading a sponsor's website that you right, would. Right. So that we never implemented any of that here, but other podcasts do. And I'll just mm -hmm. leave it at that. But yeah, 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 the industry's really been pushing. So I'm stoked about mm -hmm. it. All right. Yeah, it's good. Um, uh, we probably have a little more cool stuff found to get to, which I, which would be good. Um, I want to, I want to talk about our sponsors, but I, I want to mention one thing that I had not dug into, but in the pre-show, somebody mentioned here that iCloud plus adds the, uh, ability to use your own domain name, uh, which I find really interesting. I'm it's, I'm not sure how they're doing it. Um, I mean, the, the, like the normal way to do it would be, you would sign up with an email provider and then point what, what are called your MX records. So your, your domain records that tell servers, other mail servers, which mail server is the host for your domain. You point your MX records at your mail host. Like when I moved to Fastmail recently, I pointed my, I used my Dave, the nerd domain. I moved, I moved that entire domain over to Fastmail. And I pointed my MX records to Fastmail, so like I'm not sure what Apple is 
doing here? If they're just going to let us send, well, they've always let us send from other domains. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see if like Apple wants to truly be a mail, like an MX host for this kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm going to dig into that too. This is, it's been fun digging into this stuff. So yeah, it's good. I don't know. Any thoughts about that before we uh, move on? All right. Well then I guess uh, it's time for our next two sponsors. Let's dig in. All right. Our first sponsor today is BB Edit, one of our favorite apps. It is, yep, I just checked. It's running right now on the Mac that I'm sitting in front of here. And that's not a surprise. It's it's running almost all the time on all of my Macs. And it's because I use it for so many different things. Sure, I use BB Edit whenever I'm doing any coding. Uh, and that could be in, I do a lot of PHP on the web. I do a lot of uh, HTML and that sort of thing. But of course, you can use it for Java and JavaScript and C and any other language really that you can think of, they've probably thought of it. And it's cool because when you do that, you get to see what the code is trying to tell you. Like that's really the best way I can say it. It doesn't change the code on the disk, but it lays it out in a way that makes it really easy to follow. You can twist open functions or twist them closed to get them out of the way. It highlights variable names and function names. So it just makes it look good. And that's not all BB Edit does. I do use BB Edit to just count the words in files or compare to files. And I also use it uh, for its pattern playgrounds so that I can get better with regular expressions because grep scares me. And BB Edit makes it less scary. So go check it out. Go to barebones.com. Check out what BB Edit is. You can download it for free. You get a 30-day free trial of every feature. And then after that, some of them go away, but some of them stick around for free forever. So go check it out. Barebones.com. Download your free trial. And our thanks to Barebones and BB Edit for sponsoring this episode. Of course, if you're doing any coding at all, you are going to want to visit our next sponsor, linode.com slash MGG, and see why Linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both G2 and TrustRadius. From their award-winning customer support, which is offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to all their ease of use and setup, it's really clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. That's older than this show is. And this show just turned 16. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers the best price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and their upcoming bare metal release. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. Visit linode.com slash MGG, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account, or even just your email address, and you'll get $100 in free credit. That's linode.com slash MGG, and our thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, should we do a few more cool stuffs found here? Sure. Uh, Rick has one for us. Um, hey, guys, I have been a user of MailButler plugin for Apple Mail and Gmail. It is a suite, so you get other features. But one that I like is Delayed Mail Send. I attach the screenshot of the icon that allows you to pick and the calendar, and then it resides in a folder until it's time to send. Uh, cost is about 10 bucks a month, uh, but very helpful. Interesting. Okay. Cool. Yeah, have you ever messed with Mail Butler, John? I, 
I messed with it a couple of years ago. No, I could. Hmm. No, I'm just thinking of a, yeah, I mean, sometimes you may want to wait, especially sending off an emotional or charged email. This may be a good feature to be like, ah, maybe I won't send that. Well, you have this feature, right? <laughs> because you and I both use small cubes mail suite. This is what I'm sure what brought up, um, Rick's comment was our discussion in uh, 875 with or uh, yeah, in 875 with uh, with Dave Marks about using uh, mail act ons delayed email send, which is included Mm -hmm. as part of small cubes mail suite that you and I use. At least we both use uh, SigPro, but Mm -hmm. that's where I have it set. Every email I have is on a two minute delay and some of Mm -hmm. them I set to a two hour delay. (laughs) Well, yeah, like you said. Emotionally charged or really just anything like we were talking about last episode. So, yeah, it's, it's a good feature. It's one of those things that once you have it, like I miss not having it on my iPhone. So and I think actually doesn't Mail Butler have an iPhone app that does this? Maybe not. Maybe it's just uh, no, maybe not. OK, yeah, yeah. iPhone, iOS. Let's see. Yeah. Mail Butler is a leading project for your iPhone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do have an iPhone app, so you might be able to do this kind of stuff there. Uh, even on iOS. All right. Well, maybe there's an answer. Huh. I'll have to check that out. Okay. I'll have to check out the FastMail app for iPhone 2. That might have something like this. All right. Uh, a couple more cool stuffs. Andrew. Let's find Andrew. Now I need to get my stuff back in business here. Uh, Andrew, come on, Andrew. Find me here. Recommend Snail. Uh, It is a per-app bandwidth limiter with a reasonably nice GUI. He says, I just started playing with it. It's it's at snail.murisfirewall.com, meaning it's from the, the same people that make the Murus Firewall. So it does not, like, this is not necessarily a trivial thing to be able to do. It's a traffic shape for apps on an individual basis, like capturing a traffic traffic from each app. And, and uh, you know, you've got to understand how to talk to the network stack and the, the Muris folks definitely know how to talk to the network stack. So I got to check out snail. This is interesting. I, I could see this being super useful if you're on like tethered to your cell phone or something, John, and you want to, you know, be able to use what you're using without going nuts with bandwidth. Oh, no. Yeah, it's oh, it's been a while. I know there's something you can do. I think with if config from the command line to limit the bandwidth of a particular socket. It's been a while though. I wonder I if that's... messing with this back in back in the uh, <laughs> yeah. I... When I was trying to solve a problem, I, I I'm almost certain there's something you can do from the command line saying you know limit the the bandwidth of this. Of, connection of that thing yeah i wonder if that's how they're doing it or if they're if they're using like like is there and i'm definitely going to betray my lack of knowledge about um xcode in general but is there like a core networking or something framework that that all apps use and so would you would it be better to tap into that or just trying to because trying to figure out like what ports do what could be a a fool's errand right right right. like okay i want to i want to limit you know uh uh screen sharing app okay great well how you know what ports do you go and get oh you know or i want to limit what terminal can do 
which you can do anything from terminal. Okay. How would you do that? You know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I don't know. It, like you're, but you might be right. Like, I, I know there is a way you're right. You can, you can. Yeah. I mean, I just searched IFG bandwidth limit. And the first thing that came up is limit outgoing bandwidth on a specific interface over at stack exchange. So. There you go. Oh, well, put that, um, put that in the show notes. That, that would be a good one to, uh, to have there, I don't know, just for, you know, geeky follow-up. Show notes are always at MacGeekGab.com and almost always will make it to your email box. Uh, if you go to MacGeekGab.com and sign up for the email, I say almost always because our email is parsed and goes out once a day. We do use MailChimp for that. Uh, and we're fine with you using, uh, you know, mails. What is the name of the feature? I'm going to get it right one of these days. Uh, mails privacy protection to keep us from knowing whether or not you've opened that email. Really, uh, we don't. We certainly could have that data. It's there at MailChimp, but we don't spend a lot of time worrying about it. Um, but we um, we send it out once a day. Well, last week, we sent out two episodes in one day. On Monday, 874 came out in the morning, and then 875 came out at night. And so you only got 875 show notes in your email box. You never got 874s. And I'm not exactly sure how to tell MailChimp to remedy that. So I haven't yet, but maybe I'll look at it later this afternoon. Uh, wish me luck. All right. Uh, on the cool stuff found front, I got to mess with, uh, more than mess with, I've been using this, um, it, it's the poly studio P 15, which they call, uh, I want to find what they call it because it's, uh, the personal video bar is what is their name for it. And I, I like this name because it's hard to envision. Otherwise it's worth going to check it out. What it is, is it is all in one a camera, a, like a webcam, but a good webcam, a 1080p webcam, uh, a microphone, again, a good microphone and stereo speakers. And it sits on top of your monitor. So for someone using a Mac mini, which doesn't come with very good speakers, doesn't come with any camera or any microphone. This is a fantastic uh, idea. And I was excited to check it out. And since I've been checking it out, I can tell you it's a fantastic implementation of that idea. Uh, the camera is, is great. One thing I love about this camera is that um, kind of like the anchor one we talked about recently, it does facial detection and you and you can control all this in their app. But it does facial detection. So when you uh, get on like a Zoom call, it centers your face on the screen. And the other night, uh, I have this on my wife's Mac Mini and uh, in the house. And the other night we were on a Zoom call with some of my extended family. And when she sat down next to me, it noticed and it like reoriented the video, zoomed out a little bit and centered on both of us. And then when she left, she got up to like, go deal with Hector or something. Uh, Hector's our, our, well, you can follow Hector on Twitter, Hector at Hector D bird. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes, but she went up to deal with Hector or whatever. And so the camera noticed, Oh, only one face. And it refocused on me again, really made life easy. A lot of times these family zoom calls that we do, you know, it's like, Oh, we'll get to move your chair over so that you're in the frame or whatever. Nope. Just sit down. It's got a huge wide frame and it just dealt with it. The speakers on it sound fine. I mean, it, you know, they're loud and clear, right? Which is what you'd want from them. Music sounds fine through them. The camera has a little, um, you can twist the bezel of the, the camera so that it, it, uh, it locks the, it like shields the camera. So if you're worried about privacy, like there's a physical shield that you can see that's in the way and it, uh, it works great. 
It's it's not inexpensive. It's like six hundred bucks. Uh, you might be able to find it cheaper at Amazon or whatever, but it's the Poly Studio P15. So very, very good implementation of this sort of all-in-one and and mounted on top of your monitor, so it's not taking up any desk space with external speakers or anything like that, which is which is nice in some scenarios. So, so yeah, that's uh, that's what I got on that one. Any questions on that, John? Nope. Nope. Poly right. uh, Poly makes good stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, well, I use their, um, they, 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 uh, they acquired Obahai. And so they have that OB 200, which is the thing I use for our kind of sort of landline link to the network, to our Google voice number mm-hmm. here at the house too. Yeah. It's good. Um, listener, Bruce, uh, listener, Bruce, I'm finding it here. My last cool stuff out here. Uh, listener, Bruce says greetings from, uh, from suburban Atlanta. Uh, he says, we corresponded before about Ethernet that you have running between the office and your house. Uh, he said, when we discussed this, you stated that you had installed some surge protection devices at the end of the network cable to hopefully protect you from uh, future lightning surges. Yes, it's true. He says, when I saw the following devices being offered by Ubiquity, I thought of your installation and thought I would share. And it is the Ubiquity Ethernet surge protector. Uh Ubiquity makes Unify devices, which are sort of the prosumer network stuff. They also make, you know, enterprise level uh, mesh Wi-Fi stuff as well. But then they've got some products that are like perfect little problem solvers that are super competitively. I'm going to say super inexpensively priced. This Ethernet surge protector is twelve dollars and fifty cents. And it's, you know, an inline Ethernet surge protector. When I buy these on, when I buy like off-brand ones on Amazon, my memory is that I paid like 20 or 25 bucks a piece for these things. So to get a name brand one from Ubiquity for $12.50, perfect. So thanks for sharing that, Bruce. I will will put that in the show notes. Of course, he recommends that in addition to my fiber connection that I have from, uh, from Consolidated, that I put a fiber connection between the house and the office. I I almost did that a couple summers ago when one of the uh, stump grinders that we had here ground through where I told them not to grind and ground up magically ground up one of my two cat five cables running between the house and the office. I don't know how they only got one. Like this is wow to me. Yeah. Good aim. I guess so. I mean, they're literally right next to each other buried <laughs> underground. I, I yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> I got lucky. But um, and I fixed it uh, with the help of a Comcast uh, technician, believe it or not. They had they had this underground. Um, so it it like we I patched the cable. And what the guy had is this this enclosure that that seals up both ends of the cable and leaves room in the middle for like a, you know, fatter patch job. And it's full of that that goop, whatever it is, that that waterproof and freeze proof goop that seals out all the elements. And so, you know, you, I, I fixed it all up. He's like, are you good to go? I said, I'm good to go. He's like, are you sure? I said, yeah, we've tested it. It's all good. He's like, great. And he closed the thing down and it just like, you can see the goop just like spread out the edges or whatever. And, uh, and that's it. It's been there for years. It's like totally worked fine. Make it through the winter and, and all that. So, but fiber would be better because it's not susceptible to the elements or power surges, which is Bruce's point. So. All right. Um, 
Should we answer some questions, John? We've got a little bit of time left. Sure. Maybe. All right. Let's see if we can do. We'll try and do at least two. So Jose asks. Uh, let me find Jose here so I can make sure I ask the question properly. I recently made a purchase on my Mac using Apple Pay. Uh, I received email confirmation of my purchase from the vendor and noticed that the email they sent it to was my Apple ID. I have a different iCloud email that I use for purchases and email subscriptions. So it's not to have my Apple ID out in the wild. I don't remember having uh, changed the email to be my Apple ID for Apple pay. I don't even know how I would do that. Also, it seems a bit tedious to have to check the email being used every time one makes a purchase. Just wondering what your thoughts are on using your Apple ID as an email address where you can be reached by others. Um, I mean, you know, it depends on how you manage your email. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. But if you don't like that email being out there in the public and on mailing lists and all of that, then you definitely want to avoid using it for purchases. When you make an, a purchase with Apple Pay, you can choose the email address that is sent through to them. You can just like you can choose the like shipping address or the credit card even that is uh, used. Right. You you have that option on the screen before you confirm an Apple Pay uh, um, transaction. So be mindful of that. And I think there you can even I'm hoping somebody in our chat at live.macgeekup.com will will comment on this. But I think there you can even have it use one of Apple's obscured email addresses uh, for you. So that th that would be my advice is just be mindful. I know it's a pain in the neck that when you're making a purchase, you've got to think about all these different things, but um, be mindful of that. And, and maybe it'll become habitual and maybe your iPhone will even remember what it is that you like to do. And then you don't have to make any changes. So what do you, what do you think about that, John? Am I, am I um, crazy? <clears throat> Wait, don't, don't answer the second question. Only the first one. No. Um, <laughs> Personally, I use my Apple ID. Yeah, yeah, right. For buying stuff, and I don't see any risk. I mean, you you'll want to probably. Uh, all right, so say somebody knows your Apple ID, and I could probably you could probably guess mine, and I could probably guess yours, Dave. And in fact, I know one of them. Right, I'm almost right. sure. For sure. Um, I mean, just make sure you have two F. Uh, so then the question is, how do I detect if somebody's trying to hack into my account, I guess? So, um, oh, interesting. I, I read this as he didn't want spam being sent to his Apple ID email. Oh, that could be the case, too. But, but you're right. There's the security part, too, by obscurity. If somebody doesn't know your Apple ID, then they don't then they can't try and log in as you either. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. So, um, you know, enable to FA, which I don't even think you can. I think it's almost required now that you have to have two FA. I think you're right. Yeah. Your, uh, Apple ID. So. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So a dialogue would come up if somebody's trying to hack you. Right. Uh, saying, yes. Yes. You would. You saying would be... someone is someone's trying to log in from here. And then. Yeah. You, you know that something's up. Yeah, totally. Or I think that's how it works. I mean, I've never had someone try to hack my Apple ID. So. I haven't either. And I'm hoping we didn't just invite people to <laughs> test that for us. Yeah, don't do that. Please don't <laughs> do that. If we have enough going on during the week. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah. All right. You want to take us uh, to Patrick? I think that'll probably wrap us up for the day. But I, I, I think that's a good way to wrap things. Yes. Um, all right. Patrick. Greetings. I'm getting spam in my messages app. Can't find a way to block these on macOS Catalina. 
um, support articles, and John Martellaro uh, wrote an article about how to do this once, uh, suggests that one has to add the sender to contacts, then block it. That must be improved now, I hope, as this is ridiculous. Do y'all know a way to block SMS messages on messages? Um, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we got a support article from Apple and, and uh, dig up the, the article from John, um, which if you search for blocking spam in Mac OS comes up near the top of the list, um, or at least for me it did. Um, yeah, we had suggested this in the past a little, Dave. It's kind of a hack, but um, set up a contact call, block senders or spam or something like that, and then um, add, you know, Add the phone numbers to it, though they're probably fake phone numbers. Um, the other thing you can do, um, almost every cell carrier, um, if you search for block SMS uh, and the name of them, uh, typically it involves you forwarding the uh, spam to spam or the digits um at least for Verizon, that that that's what they suggest. They're like, "Hey, if you want us to mark this as a spam, then uh, forward forward the SMS to us." Yeah, yeah. Not every provider does this, but but a lot of them do. But then there's also um, RoboKiller, right? If you want to implement your own solution, uh, or, or not your own, right. but someone else's with your, um, you know, with whatever your cell provider is. So we'll put a link to RoboKiller in the. In the show notes, I wanted to reiterate what you said, John, because I, I think there's a little bit of magic in what you just said there. So it is pedantic, as Patrick points out, to have to add each number as a contact and then block that contact, because that's the only thing that can be blocked as a contact. You can't just block a number. However, what you said is, the, I think, the, the, the most clever way to solve this problem and that is to create a single contact called block senders or spammers or whatever you want to call it. Block that contact and then just keep adding new phone numbers to it when those come in. And then they will automatically be blocked for the future. So you just have the one contact and then that keeps your address book from getting over cluttered. And you just start dumping these things in there. And once they're in there, if that contact is blocked, Every every number associated with it is blocked, including the new ones. So I, I like that solution, John. That's good. It's great stuff. Yeah, let's see. Verizon uh, seven seven two six is the spell spam. Ah, okay. All right. Okay. Spam to seven seven two six. Okay. On Verizon. All right. I'll put that in the show notes too. In fact, it's in the show notes. Cool. Check them out at MacGeekGab.com. Folks, thank you so much for hanging out with us and spending your time with us. This has been a, uh, it's been a blast as always. Actually, I, I really, I like the, the pacing of this episode, Mr. Braun. I thought this was good. Did you folks think it was good? Let us know. I like it when we can bounce stuff back and forth. It's good. All right. Uh, what else do we have to say? Where do you want to find us, John? Any, uh, anything else you want to share? Hmm. I got to put Hector's uh, Twitter address in there. You want to tell everybody else about? Uh, oh yeah. Uh, okay. Well, there's there's a Hector rules with an iron beak. That is correct. I thought it was an iron wing, but I guess no. The, no. the wing is not the dangerous part of Hector. <gasps> ah. Well, if it was made out of iron and sharp, 
Could L- like her beak, you mean? Yeah. Uh, which is natural. Um, yeah. Naturally sharp and dangerous. Yeah. yeah. When when you can, when, when I watch her like carve into a walnut without really breaking a sweat, I know that I don't want her upset with me and specifically my fingers. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So Hector's on Twitter and we're also on Twitter. Well, we are, we are her minions. And so we must be on Twitter. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, on Twitter, he's Dave Hamilton. I'm John F. Braun. Mackie Gab. Mac Observer. Pilot Pete. Those are the places you want to be. That's it. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, folks. Make sure to check out our sponsors, as we noted in the show, linode.com slash MGG. Of course, barebones.com ladderlife.com slash mgg and go check out uh that enlightenment of steve jobs business movers series on uh on wondery or apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast of course go to macgeekab.com slash sponsors to find out about all our other sponsors ah. all right good we made it another one happy 13 i, I keep saying happy 13 years because mm. i'm thinking of June 13th, but it's not 13 years. It's 16 years. So happy 16 years again, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got us into this one. I've been rambling here. You want to get us out, my friend? Yeah, I'm going to get us out. And the way we're going to get out of here is making sure you don't get caught. Made up.